Hello, and welcome to The Key, Inside Higher Ed's news and analysis podcast. I'm Doug Letterman, editor and co-founder of Inside Higher Ed. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss one of the many aspects of higher education that was thrown into question by the COVID-19 pandemic, the role and value of the physical campus. Even as most colleges and universities proved over the last 15 months that they could function adequately and often effectively with their people physically dispersed, many students and employees hankered to return. The vast majority of institutions plan to operate this fall more like they did in 2019 than they did a year ago, but that doesn't mean their leaders aren't rethinking how they might use their physical campuses in the years ahead. Few are confronting the questions as directly as the University of Akron, which announced in February that it would consider selling, repurposing, or otherwise rethinking the use of up to 1 million of the roughly 8 million square feet of buildings and land it owns. COVID-19 didn't start the conversations at Akron, which were driven in part by enrollment and financial pressures. But as is true in many corners of our lives, the pandemic accelerated the university's discussions. Joining the key today to discuss the situation at Akron and elsewhere in higher education are Nathan Mortimer, Vice President of Operations at Akron, Lander Medlin, Executive Vice President of APPA, Leadership and Educational Facilities, and Tomas Rassant and Alex O'Brien, who are respectively a design partner and a principal at Ennead Architects, which works with colleges across the United States on their design needs. While this conversation is focused on how colleges and universities might use their campus spaces as their needs and those of their students evolve, it is, like many such discussions around higher education these days, ultimately about the ability and inclination of colleges to adapt to changing circumstances. That's going to be the focus of the next three episodes of The Key, which are sponsored by Wiley Education Services. Before we begin today's episode, here's a quick word from Wiley. Hi. I'm Todd Zipper, president of Wiley Education Services. This episode is brought to you by my new podcast, An Educated Guest. Be sure to check it out. I will be bringing together great minds in higher ed to dive deep into the innovations and trends that will guide the future of education and careers. No small talk, just big ideas. Subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We begin today's program by hearing from Nathan Mortimer, who as the University of Akron's Vice President of Operations, is smack dab in the middle of the analysis of its campus space and facilities. Nathan, welcome to The Key, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. So the university announced plans in February to consider selling, leasing, repurposing up to one-eighth of the office space or land it holds, as much as a million square feet. Can you tell our listeners what went into that decision? The university has been doing quite a bit of work around properties in the last three or four years. I would just tell you it's accelerating a little bit uh, starting in February. But in the, in the course of the last three or four years, we've prepared a number of uh, properties for development. We had buildings on them that we were no longer using. So we abated them and remediated them for environmental concerns. And then we green spaced them. So we, we've done probably 300,000 plus square foot of abating or raising old structures in the last three or four years, just getting getting the campus ready for what's what we're under doing underway right now. What are the factors that have led you down that path? 
Yeah, really a couple things. We've had an enrollment challenge here for, for a number of years. So we're trying to right-size campus to what we think enrollment is today and what we hope it's going to be, you know, on a growth potential going forward. Uh, it was an opportunity, in our opinion, to uh, take quite a bit of deferred maintenance off the books um, by doing what we're doing. And quite frankly, it's to bring some different eyes on campus to look at what we're doing and to maybe give us some different perspectives and different views of how we could do things better and differently and, and create opportunities for the campus and, and greater Akron community. One of the things that's enabled you to do this is a grant from the Knight Foundation. Is that grant what's going to enable you to bring additional eyes on campus? Is that what you yeah, mean by that? That's a great question. So we, we actually have two processes ongoing right now and they're sort of in parallel one is we're looking for what we would call a property consultant slash coordinator and that's what the grant from the knight foundation the generous grant from the knight foundation is going to help fund is is to bring somebody in to look at what we've done uh to to concur with it offer different ideas and the like the other one that we're actually we have a pretty comprehensive proposal out on the street, a request for a proposal, I should say, on the street, looking for a multitude of different properties that were, to your point, looking to either sell, redevelop it, do P3 opportunities and the like with. So we're looking for that consultant to help us navigate through all those other properties. Well, well describe, if you can, maybe describe what the range of all this space is. Is it already, is it land? Is it already built facilities? What's the, what's the mix? Yeah, so the, it's, it's really, a, if you would have looked at it a couple of years ago, it would have been largely buildings. Um, like I said, we had, we had a number of vacated, unused buildings that we knew ultimately that they, they weren't really in the condition to be repurposed. Uh, so we took the initiative effort over the last couple of years to go through and, and abate those buildings, you know, the, the environmental remediation I'm talking about, and then actually taking them down and creating green space. So we've, we've done that to roughly six buildings over 300,000 square feet that we think is ready for either selling or redevelopment. There are some buildings that we've already repurposed. So a couple examples, we had a vacant building that the State Highway Patrol in, in the state of Ohio was looking for a, for a new home back in the county. For whatever reason, they left the county about 12 years ago. We're looking to return to Summit County. We actually had a space. They are part of the state of Ohio as the University of Akron. So we actually put them in an existing building. So we're the first in the state of Ohio to have a, a highway state highway patrol post on campus. They're not on campus patrolling our campus, but they were looking for a home back in the county. And it, it gives us a little bit of added value of uh, enhanced security presence and it found a place for a, for a partner here in the state of Ohio. So, so not only have we taken some buildings down, we're trying to repurpose some buildings as well. Akron's hardly alone in having built up its campus a good bit in recent years. Did universities like Akron overbuild their physical campuses or were they responding appropriately to the context at a certain time and are now responding differently given that there's a new context and landscape? Yeah, I'm probably in best position to talk just about the University of Akron versus others, but you know, the at the, at the time, the campus was really outdated. And if you'd been on campus 20, 25 years ago, you, you would witness the roads coming through campus, you would witness a lot of old tired buildings. And so, so the university made a decision back in the late 90s, early 2000s to renovate campus. And, 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 it, and it did do that in anticipation that enrollment would do different things than what it's done for us the last 10 years. Um, really what we're talking about today is creating a better definition of campus, uh, 
creating the boundary of campus. We're not, the buildings that we're talking about aren't in the middle, in the core of campus. And in some cases, quite frankly, we've got a couple of very, very large buildings that we think that there's great opportunities for joint use, meaning bring, bring the community and bring partners in that uh, because of the location of the buildings would be uh, not, not just a great use for the university, but really to have others join us inside those buildings. How, if at all, did the pandemic affect your thinking about this? It, we, we've had lots of conversations about whether the various changes wrought by the pandemic in terms of more comfort, I think, more comfortableness with people working remotely, potentially with students learning remotely. How much did the changes and the, and the sort of environment brought about by COVID-19 affect this process in the university's thinking? Uh, great question. Uh, I would tell you some. I, I think that uh, the further away we get into the pandemic and emerge to the new norm, I think we'll have a, a real better perception of a realization of, of what the pandemic meant in terms of workplace environment and, and remote learning and, and the like. So I think we're still a little bit too close to the pandemic to know uh, where it's going to end up. I think if you reflect back from five years and look back, you have a better perspective that, you know, we were underway doing a lot of things with buildings and properties and space utilization uh, before the pandemic. I think we're just going to be a little bit more intentional as we navigate through the pandemic, looking to see what the academic program is going to look like and certainly going to take that into consideration as we, as we do what we're about ready to do. How much is this a contraction of the physical campus at Akron versus a realignment with what the university's priorities are at this moment and ideally ahead? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things is the, you know, it's really about trying to right size the footprint of campus to get with what we think we need and what the future holds, knowing that the pandemic and how we emerge from that and the new norm you know, could impact us even more, but, but uh, a lot of it is just creating opportunities to clean some properties up. Um, really what we're talking about largely is non-academic buildings. In fact, we're making some investments. We've got a really large investment. We're getting ready to start making the summer in the core of campus. We have two existing very important academic buildings that are, that are, that are uh, season, very dated. And so we're getting ready to take one of those down and fully renovate the other building and put a small addition on. So we're really not talking just about um, con contraction. We're talking about trying to do the right investments, you know, do certainly contraction, but, but also um, being recognize the importance of investing in the academic program as well. Is there, what's, what are the finances of, of all this likely to look like? Uh, obviously the university in part because of a sizable decrease in enrollment has had to make a bunch of difficult decisions uh, around other parts of the university budget, staffing and some other things. Does the reassessment of the physical footprint, will it, will it change the financial picture enough that certain, that other cuts might not be necessary? I mean, I'm curious how it fits into the sort of overall financial state of the institution. Yeah, it'd be, it, I'll be able to answer your question more fully in about seven months when we're through the process. But, uh, you, you know, our belief is that 
in time will tell that we think there's an opportunity to bring in the right partners to do some investments, uh, to look at things a little bit differently than what we have, to be a, a little bit more, maybe more entrepreneurial than what, what we have, have done thus far. Um, and at the same point, really, it, it's beyond that. It's about right sizing. And then I think I mentioned the deferred maintenance item that we've talked about that's on the books, which is really you know, uh, a cost avoidance down the road. Tell us a little more about how Akron is thinking about the role of the physical campus going forward. And what do you think other institutions might draw from the conversations that are going on there? And I think the pandemic is going to going to lead to higher education and, quite frankly, the private sector as well into the same conversation. You know, higher ed, in our opinion, at least at this point, is that uh, we're not just bricks and mortar. It, it is a place. It's a living place. And, and the living learning experience that students have being on campus, we think, is, is hugely important. Remote learning is going to, I think, is going to have a new new place, whether it's, you know, on fully online or hybrid or the like. But, you know, if you really get into the essence of a university, it is a place and it is a living being. And uh, we think that having that having that place for students to come live and learn and grow is important. So it's, it's not a diminution of the importance of campus. It's making sure that the campus is the right size and has the right elements of it to continue to fill that mission at a time when some things are in play in terms and potentially changing. That's right. I think, I think you say it well, you know, there is a lot of fluidity out there right now, but we do believe that whether we're talking 10 years ago today or into the future, we believe that the, the, the camp, the physical environment of a campus is important to student learning and success. Uh, Nathan Mortimer, thanks for being here. appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great day. Our next guest is Lander Medlin, Executive Vice President at APPA, the Maine Association for Educational Facilities Professionals. Lander, welcome to The Key, and thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Doug. I really appreciate the opportunity. This is my favorite topic, so let's, <laughs> Great. let's talk about it. Great. So we just spoke with uh, Nathan Mortimer at the University of Akron about their uh, plan to uh, rethink how they use a, about an eighth of their campus footprint. Uh, and I'm curious how what Akron is doing fits into the larger national landscape that you look at in, in your job and, and how representative it is of, of conversations that you're aware of. What I'm hearing from other campuses across the country is they need to meaningfully downsize, right size their physical campus. I mean, we know the data. Uh, we've looked at the data. The data is not pretty when it comes to being able to support um, a drop in revenues, net revenues, a drop in enrollment, which we can talk about in a little bit. What are those? Um, but also uh, the increase in actual need to uh, repair and maintain and replace these facilities. That's increasing. You know, the last time I looked, just like humans, buildings age, <laughs> you know, these infrastructure age, right? They're all aging. So they're on a decaying um, line, but we do need to keep up with our investments around that. And we've not done that, uh, unfortunately, in the main. And so we have an increasing need. That's the only line that's going up when I look at graphs, it's the only line that's going up. And that's really important for us to understand and as I look at where we are right now, Doug, is that this actually can be an exciting time because these issues existed pre-pandemic, right? They've been revealed. 
Um, and they've been accelerated by COVID. In this scale of disruption that even Scott Galloway talks about and the impact of technologies, we have real opportunities. And I think Akron is an example of that. I want to see more and more institutions taking advantage of this because they've got to do it. They've got to do it. So it may be too early to tell, but what is your sense of how the pandemic influenced the thinking of your members and of college leaders about their physical space? I've seen it argued both that it increased the value of the physical campus and that it uh, revealed the campuses to be less important. How, how do you think most college officials that you talk to are thinking about it? So um, I, th I think we have some advantages here with this. The remote hybrid workplace and remote hybrid learning is going to give us some advantages to utilize both the remote to those in individuals who want to stay that way. Okay, that could be good. We got global competition for those. We can, we can go after them, right? Then we have the idea of place-based institutions and how important that is. Two-thirds to three-quarters of the students said they wanted to come back, even in the midst of last fall, okay, the pandemic. And their parents drove them all the way across the country to get them into, okay, that, so that's an interesting. But the college experience is still something that people strive for and that they want to have. That means that, in, in my head, place matters. Now, what does the place look like? If I was stuck in my dorm room, was my dorm room attractive enough to want to give me there or was it a bit of a nightmare? So I think that institutions are looking about, and I'm going to say it like this, Doug, being more intentional about their sense of place, all right? That's going to be really important as we move forward. And that's going to drive being more intentional and disciplined about um, what spaces we want to keep. Gosh, we don't want to demolish anything, do we? We don't want to get rid of space, but we are overbuilt. We just have too much space, I think. But place does matter, and I think it's going to continue to matter. Um, I just think it's how do we consider um, our own competitive advantage by institution, and how do we consider um, utilizing that as the differentiator for who is our audience? What is our risk tolerance? How do we go at the spaces that are no longer attractive to, um, to, to the communities that we're trying to bring in. So I'll give you a perfect example, and that's large lecture halls. Are people going to build large lecture halls anymore after the remote synchronous, asynchronous delivery? I don't think so. And so now what do we do with those things? And how do we move forward very differently with smaller sort of learning pods, right? So. I think that's helping. So that should help us think about this, Doug. We're talking with Lander Medlin, Executive Vice President of APPA, Leadership and Educational Facilities. What you just said made it sound like this is very much a institutionally focused equation or set of, set of questions. So what kinds of questions do you advise institutions to be asking and what kind of analysis should they be doing to assess whether they've got the right physical footprint, the right mix of, of space and facilities for where they are now and for where they're heading. Uh, how, how, what is that equation or, or set of, what does that analysis look like? So um, I think part of this is stepping way back and thinking about my institution, what differentiates my institution from everyone else? 
you know, we have a tendency, you and I do this all the time. Well, they're research comp docs, they're liberal arts, they're master degree granting, whatever. But they're all, they are unique. That's the one thing I will give every institution is its uniqueness. But how do they use that to advantage? So what, what is their competitive advantage given those differentiations? And, and now what if that's, if I know what that is programmatically and academically, then I know where I want to head in terms of my population of students and faculty. And it also helps drive programmatic space. Not all space is equal, Doug. And so where are the biggest drivers for my um, using space for enrollment, recruitment and retention? And how do I use that to make forced, this is going to be really hard for people, disciplined decisions around, let's call it a net zero space policy. I know, scary to people. How, how do I actually think about, I am not going to add space. We are going to make conscious decisions about either reducing our space portfolio or that we're going to be very targeted about what space we're going to use. I think there's another aspect to this too is what is the relative risk and reliability of spaces? You know, there's a good question to ask around, is the space good or is the space great for my purpose? That's really important. And that means I had to be very disciplined with the entirety of the community of looking about at integrated space planning and thinking about the whole facilities portfolio on a building by building by building basis to understand whether it's just nice to have good or can I reduce that from my portfolio? We cannot afford, we're overbuilt for the portfolio um, that the revenues are not going up, the net revenues are not going up, yet the need is going up. So we have actually built beyond enrollment. Um, and so we, um, unless you're the elite institutions or those top 200, which we're really not talking about right now, you cannot, you just can't continue those curves. They can't continue. And then I'm gonna add one other piece of this, Doug, and that is, do you know the average age of our buildings is 55 years old? And we haven't reinvested in those that were built between the 10 to 25 year either. So not to the level we should. So you can see how these sort of waves of investment and reinvestment are necessary. And we're, we're, we're really losing. It's a losing game as the buildings decay. Hired pivoted on the fly and fairly successfully during the pandemic. But the reality is it didn't really have any choice but to do so. I could make the case that there won't be nearly as much short-term pressure or incentive to make the next set of changes. Um, how do you think about the compulsion that institutions might or might not feel in the next year or two to undergo the sort of rigorous analysis and potentially difficult decisions around use of the campus? Do you sense a willingness or a commitment to doing hard things, even if the pressure on institutions eases somewhat? I remain hopeful. <laughs> Let me say it like that. Um, and where I'm coming from, Doug, is the worst thing we can do is get lulled into the short-term gains of maybe we get some uh, federal one-time investment of monies. Maybe we get back on um, the, the scale over the next, because we have about four years to do this, of enrollment increases. Because uh, I actually think that enrollment will come back in the fall, all right? At, at many of these institutions, all right? The problem is 
the enrollment clip is real. Go to Nathan Gross piece on the Agile College and the previous work. It's coming and it's coming for everybody, including the elites. However, the elites will pull from the populations that would normally have gone to these other institutions. And it's going to, that birth dearth and that enrollment cliff that's coming in 2026 is real. And it's actually going to get worse because of 2020's pandemic said that we, that the birth rates were two to 3% less if, I, my, if my um stats are right here, which means that it's gonna prolong this period. So we're not coming out of that for a while. So if we get lulled into, well, we can come back. I think the worst possible thing we can think of, think is, well, let's just wait it out and we'll get back to normal. There is no get back to normal. This is, we have got to assess um, our particular situation, each individual institution. I think the Northeast and the Midwest Rust Belt have gone through this earlier than anyone else because of where the populations are and where people are going. We know this from watching what's been happening there. And that, that's why I commend the University of Akron um, in their work because they are shedding themselves of a lot of space as I'm reading what they're doing and what's happening. And trying to firm up who they are, what they're about. They're also doing it with the community. And I think that's important. Doing things with the community, being part of that um, is, is gonna be helpful. So gosh, Doug, if, if people get lulled into that, we're just gonna see this all over again and it will be um, to their own demise. Is there something you saw emerging from the very difficult last 15 months that makes you hopeful that colleges can step up to this challenging set of decisions? Something we learned during the pandemic, one of the best practices was around collaboration. The silos were broken. Facilities, talking to academics, talking to um, student affairs, to finance, to everybody was part of the team. We had a purpose, get students back, right? Now we have to rally around that next purpose. And that is we are going to collaborate to actually reduce the physical footprint of these institutions and wrap it around data. I mean, we've got, we've got really good data on the size of our institution, the, what the portfolio looks like. Um, is it overbuilt? What is the age? What is the backlog? What are all these things? Uh, and I'm here to tell you that the, the backlog of need, all of it does not need to be funded. What it needs to is it just needs to be, we need to address it. We need to decide whether the, even this particular building is no longer useful. It's already achieved its useful life. It's 80 or 90% used up. And we have to reimagine what that portfolio looks like because we can't fund it any longer. We do not have the financial capacity for that built environment. That's what I'm saying. Um, and, and I think that sort of helps us think about how place matters. What are we gonna to use to advantage with remote workplace, remote learning, and how do we move through that to take advantage of all aspects of that to rethink what our campus spaces look like and how they are going to, how are we going to use them to great advantage um, to continue the wonderful work that these institutions are doing, so. Uh, Lander Medlin, thanks for being here. I appreciate your time. <laughs> Absolutely. That was Lander Medlin, Executive Vice President of APPA Leadership and Educational Facilities, 
Our next and last discussion today is with two architects, Tomas Rassant and Alex O'Brien, whose firm, ENIAD, works with colleges, hospitals, museums, government agencies, and other public-facing organizations on designing facilities and campus space to fulfill their missions. Tomas and Alex, the University of Akron announced plans in February to consider selling, leasing, or repurposing up to one-eighth of the office space and land it holds. That struck me as pretty unusual, but as people who watch this space closely, how typical or not is it of conversations you see unfolding on campuses around the country? The Akron example that you cite is you know, not really something we have visibility into. Most of our clients are top tier public research universities or top tier private um, universities and colleges. So the notion of deacquiring and, and, and giving away um, real estate is being talked about, but nowhere near uh, to the degree that uh, you mentioned in Akron. Um, I think that what the pandemic is doing is some people imagine that there's a kind of Darwinian natural selection happening and the weaker higher education institutions will slowly fade away and the stronger ones will bolster themselves and ideally um, save the project of the liberal arts and grow their enrollment. And I think this kind of uh, period that we're in right now that you mentioned is, you know, the wheel is still in spin. I don't think Alex and I can tell you definitively where we're heading, but we can report that, that amongst the, the kind of um, healthy institutions of higher education, there's kind of a nervous excitement about tinkering with the business model, with the real estate model, with how we teach, with where we teach, to really make their institutions even stronger. And I'm very excited to see where that goes. Alex, uh, you wanna add some thoughts there? In our sphere uh, that Tomas mentioned among uh, a lot of state schools and the top tier research institutions, uh, we're actually seeing the kind of opposite effect of the Akron effect, which is they are um, leveraging this opportunity to, to, to really advance their plans to grow, whether it's grow enrollments, but also um, grow their campuses in, in new and different ways. I mean, for instance, we're working with Georgia Tech, who's uh, uh, expanding further into Midtown uh, as a part of their project to uh, engage business and industry more directly. They've just formulated this whole office of corporate engagement that is, is going to be the kind of blanket for, for that. So we're seeing among many of our clients this, um, this look at like uh, the, the fact that it's, you know, money's cheap right now. So it's, it's easy to, um, to uh, interest rates are low. And, and so the, these, um, institutions are, are taking plans that uh, they didn't create out of COVID. Of course, these were things that they've been eyeing for a while and they're part of longer term trends, but um, most of them are, are moving ahead um, quite quite forcefully with those. Uh, while also, I think, um, beginning to realize that they need to do some more thoughtful strategic planning around the COVID issues on their campuses. And so I think that the, you know, they're, they're advancing some of these, um, these growth plans while also uh, checking themselves a little bit and thinking about how to reconfigure things more broadly. So some of the trends that people have been noting and, and anticipating, and, and Tomas, take, take what you said about where we are in this cycle and, and being early, but there's obviously lots of talk about remote work, 
uh, and and talk about reshaping the learning environments such that possibly more students uh, study in different realms other than in a physical classroom. Does that mean that the institutions that you tend to work with don't necessarily anticipate those trends influencing them or just that they think they're that potentially reducing or changing their campus space isn't necessary to respond to those trends? Oh, I think everybody is very excited about the trends and scratching their heads about how do we change um, not only our spatial utilization, but what spaces we own, what spaces we operate, where those spaces are. Um, I got off the phone last week with a law school dean who has um, a state-of-the-art law school and he wanted to pick my brains. He wants to open a second law school at the same university. And that law school is gonna have a lower price point. It's all gonna be remote, except for the kind of minimal communal aspects of learning the law. There will be a very small building, right? Students will come to it maybe twice a semester or four times a semester. And can you imagine that? A university with two law schools. <laughs> so people are really trying new things. On the other end of the spectrum, you know, I, I got off, uh, I had a call with a dean at a New England uh, university, a state one. Um, and she was livid because the provost was saying, we have to eliminate two of your departments. It was to eliminate two departments because they couldn't eliminate tenured faculty the contract only allowed them to eliminate tenured faculty if you stop teaching the discipline. I think that's not going to happen at that university. She found a way around it. But could you imagine the kind of poverty of opportunity for kids if this starts to happen around the country? So I think, you know, the law school model is, is the shiny end <laughs> of where we can go. And, you know, this kind of consolidation and race to the bottom is, is the dark shadows. Alex? So, you know, you mentioned two different flavors of that, and I think both of those are uh, universities are looking at somewhat separately, but there's the workspace issue, and then there's the classroom and the pedagogical issue, and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're um, very separate ecosystems, but they're really both important to the campus's bottom line and to the success of the campus, and, and um you know, on the on the classroom side, you know, I, I think the move is going to be further towards the kinds of things that have the most value in person. That's the thing we've learned is that we we can be remote sometimes, but we need to be face to face. And so I think the emphasis is going to be on, you know, on the um, experiential learning, the, the, the teamwork, the, the sort of face to face projects. This is a trend that that precedes COVID, this move more towards experiential learning and away from big lecture halls. And so it, it's it's almost like the, the pandemic just sort of pushed us over the ledge and sort of encouraged us to just go ahead and embrace this new direction and kind of start to rethink space more holistically and strategically out of necessity, um, which is, I suppose, a, a better reality than having to kind of reverse course on things that you've been trying to do for many years because of a, you know, because of a global health situation. What are the issues that you encourage campus leaders to be thinking about as they engage with these questions of whether they have the right amount of space, the right space, 
Is there a framework you use as you work with colleges on these issues? It's simplistic, but space is money. And the first question we often ask is, what type of accurate visibility do you have, whether it's a provost or uh, some other uh, leader of the institution, into your spatial utilization? And what we're finding is relying on the registrar to say, this is how often this room is booked, this is how often this uh, seminar room is used, is very spotty because it relies on um, kind of simplistic information, like someone booked it, but they don't know if someone actually used it, nor do they know how it was used. And we like to try to encourage institutions, and there are different levels you can do this, to get much more accurate information either by using digital technology or the old fashioned way that master planners do, you hang out for a long time and you take a lot of notes, but you can't make strategic changes to your physical campus without accurate data as to how it's used. Uh, the next step is really to understand the institutional vision for the future. We can't tell them where to go, right? So if I'm a university president or a college president, and I'm taking very seriously the dilemma of higher education. I don't want to call it a, a crisis right now, but the dilemma of higher education, do I want to go to my trustees and say, we can educate more people. Should our mission change and should we educate more people either by doing some hybrid things, growing in a certain way, teaching during the summer, getting faculty to actually teach after three o'clock on a Friday and getting faculty to teach before 3, 3 p.m. on a Monday, like how can we actually exercise better results, better outcomes, educate more people while driving down the cost of our education? So it's, it, it has to start with, with that notion of, of a vision. I'm speaking with Tomas Roussant and Alex Bryan of ENIAD Architects. Alex, you wanted to add something here? Being apart has helped focus us all on the value of being together. And I think that that's the incredible moment for campuses, which are so steeped in the concept of place and in-person learning and interaction, um, is an opportunity to really evaluate where we, where we get the most benefit culturally and educationally from being in person. Because the thing we've learned in the last year is how to not be together. Now the value proposition for campus is what can we offer in place? This, these campuses are expensive, so expensive to build and maintain. Why bother? And, and so I, I think that's really the, um, you know, back to your question about what's next for campuses. I think you have to ask that question is like, what's the value of being together and, and which things are more valuable than others? To come back to one point that you made, which I think is really important, is this notion of what is the value of being together on campus? And you know, we've started to formulate our own opinions, but I think there really has to be a national discussion. Is it that I can see my faculty member during office hours? Maybe not, I can do that. I mean, we're having a conversation right now and you could be my professor. Is it that I really like being in that 200 person lecture hall here in a lecture? Not so much. I think the real value of being in a learning culture physically in a place is all the ad hoc 
critical dialogue, all the kind of you know spontaneous interactions, what we call learning outside the classroom. And ideally, we should still have that. I mean, I think we should still have higher education should be focused on being in a place. But I think what we have to challenge and ask, do I have to be in that place 24 seven? Do I have to be in that place for the whole semester? Can I say, hey, this semester, it's just freshmen, right? Who are on campus. And this next semester, it's seniors. And what does that do to the efficacy of learning and teaching? It's gonna take a tremendous leap of faith for many of the universities we work with to to experiment with some of the radical models that Tomas was just uh, going through, which are very fascinating. I mean, the changing relationship between learning and time is, is something that whose potential has really been laid out over the last year. Uh, but what that will require is incredible experimentation with models that are very risky because, you know, when you have an unsuccessful one and your enrollment drops for a couple of years, when everybody says, well, that's no good, you don't want to go there. You know, it's, it's a dangerous thing for very well-established institutions, which means that it might take a, an outlier to, to start to demonstrate that. That was ENEAD architects Tomas Rassant, a design partner, and Alex O'Brien, a principal. Thanks to them and to Lander Medlin and Nathan Mortimer for their insights into the state of campus facilities and what the discussions about campus space signal about whether college and university officials are ready to rethink what their institutions do and how they do it. We're going to continue these conversations about innovation in higher education in the coming weeks. Before we close, a reminder to subscribe to The Key on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Doug Letterman, and this is The Key. Stay safe and stay well.